Hi, I'm Tim Zacharias with Cougar USA and your host of Building Value. Got a great episode for you today. It's actually part one of two parts with Christoph Lohr, Vice President of Strategic Initiatives for IAPMO. Uh, we're going to be covering a lot of different topics uh, on this first episode. Specifically, we're going to be looking at his background and also talking about the water demand calculator, which is an, about a five-year effort to redefine Hunter's Curve and the way that building water demand is calculated. Um, and then on, uh, we're also going to be talking about the Water Demand Summit that's coming up in November. On Building Value, we go behind the scenes of building operations to showcase the people and products that make buildings work and the value they bring to the community. Well, can you tell me a little bit about where you grew up? Yeah, so actually, I guess I'm a little bit uh, of a person that's all over the place. Um, try to keep it uh, a little bit short, but I uh, uh, was born in uh, Wiesbaden, Germany, um, and uh, immigrated to the U.S. when I was three years old uh, and, and grew up in the Detroit metro area in a city called Rochester, Michigan. Okay. Um, went to uh, high school, you know, elementary school, high school, all the way through. And uh, for college, then I decided actually to go uh, south um, uh, to uh, the Virginia Military Institute, um, where I graduated with my bachelor's of science in mechanical engineering. Um, then spent uh, a couple years out in the uh, Midwest, uh, living right on the border between Iowa and Illinois uh, for the first couple of years in, in the Quad Cities. Okay. And then uh, made my way out to Phoenix uh, about 12 years ago and have been here ever since. Um, so, um, you know, been out, out in the desert and learning all the uniqueness of that, uh, coming sure. from green areas, but, uh, it, it's interesting, you know, you sit there and you talk about water and uh, obviously we're going to be talking a lot about water today and, and you get yep. a definitely a very different mindset when it comes to water, um, and, and how it relates to the importance of it when you live into a desert and, and sometimes how wasteful we've been as a society and as a, as a country, um, especially comparing to others out there. So, Sure. Yeah. I mean, Phoenix is a beautiful area. I mean, only yeah. been there once, but uh, definitely enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like the, the kind of the last time we were talking about, you had some unique interactions in, in college that it kind of impacted the way that you moved through your career and, and uh, kind of specialized in what you, what you are now. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great, thanks for reminding me about that, Tim. Um, so yeah, my, uh, my background, uh, again, Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering, um, but it was interesting, my senior year, um, actually I spent uh, in a class, Energy Conversion Design, um, still have the book up on my bookshelf up above the, the camera here, and, and in essence, the, the, the class was a whole semester on parallel piping systems, selecting pumps, um, and um, looking how um, open and closed systems that had parallel branches worked. And so I had a whole semester in math, MathCAD basically, where we looked at the, the concepts of, um, you know, Hardy cross, uh, Hayes and Williams equations and everything else. Um, and, and since I graduated VMI, um, you know, I, I've noticed that not a lot of colleges or a lot of the engineers I've interacted with had that kind of opportunity. Yep. Um, early in my career, I, I, I was a, a sort of a mechanical engineering generalist. So I did HVAC and plumbing design. Uh, and I would liken it to, you know, there's a mechanical coin inside the building. You know, one side is HVAC, the other side is plumbing. Mm -hmm. Even though for a long while, the industry has sort of thought of it as, you know, it, plumbing is subservient to HVAC, which I think is unfortunate. I think we've, 
um, have devalued and, and kind of um, had a lot of missed opportunities for some positive things in public health and safety. I think that dynamic is shifting now. Sure. Um, but um, early in my career, I did both. And then it was about three years in um, I, where I started getting into healthcare work specifically. Uh, the company I worked for, they split up their HVAC and their plumbing folks. Um, and so at the time when I joined them, they only had an opening for plumbing. So I started with that and with the, the thinking, oh, maybe I'll go into HVAC, uh, go back to, you know, where, where, uh, where the, um, you know, where I was thinking where I wanted to be. And then I quickly realized that, you know, a few months in that, man, there's a lot of opportunity here um, yep. to, to really be involved on the plumbing side and to focus on that. Um, and, and it was interesting because um, my favorite courses in college were the theory side rather than the practical side, but all the theory side of that plumbing. And one of them was that energy conversion design course um, yep. where we really had spent that time on Hayes and Williams and, 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 and whatnot. And so um, I pretty quickly, you know, about a few months in, I was like, you know, I was originally thinking when I joined this company that I was going to go back to HAC and I was like, nope, I'm going to stick with, with the plumbing side. Um, and so from that point on, you know, I, I made a, another change to another engineering firm uh, that really kind of helped propel me. Um, uh, but really spent the last, you know, last half of my career uh, focusing on, on the water, water, medical gases, but especially in the water and, and water safety standpoint, because what I started noticing was there was a lot of um, non-systems thinking, I guess, if you will. Um, it's something that I speak a lot about. And that, that is the idea that, that, you know, we're looking at in the engineering in the U.S., my sense is that we tend to, tend to think things in tasks. Um, we're very task focused. Sure. Um, so we have great products. Uh, we have absolutely, actually, it's interesting when you talk to some of the folks overseas, you know, they, a lot of times they want to learn from us in our product development, because I think we, we able to make componentry that that's, that's much better. Um, but when it comes to the overarching, how those components interact with each other, I think sure. that's where we struggle. At least there's a lot of room for growth. I think that's a fair way to put it. There's a lot of ro <laughs> room for growth on yes. our side. That, that is a polite way to say it. Yes. <laughs> and I was going to say, I mean, if it seems like you've, and you said before you really enjoy where you're at now with IMO and and kind of getting to take all of these this experience that you've had in in the you know practicing as an engineer being in that industry and now kind of being in more of a uh, I guess like the code standards or advisory type role kind of guiding where the industry is going uh, with what you're doing now. No, definitely. I feel I feel very fortunate to be with IATMO. Uh, it's a great organization. Um, they really care about public health and safety. I mean, that is the number one driver. Um, you know, we have, I was going to say, I have a, a, one of those stickers on my thing, you know, live by the code. Uh, and I love it. Mm. It's just, it's this pointing to, you know, we're impacting people's lives every day we come into the office. Uh, yep. did I work from home. Um, so, you know, my <laughs> office is right just downstairs. Uh, but but to me, it, 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 there, I've always been kind of a naturally a more big picture thinker. And so I think I struggled early in my engineering career because I tended to be a more big picture thinker. I had to learn to do details, but I think that's kind of the case for any big picture thinker. You have to learn the details. Uh, you can't mm -hmm. just not know them. And I think it makes you more effective, you know, as you progress through your career and learning the details, you know, maybe the, the back end of the career. I, I do feel the last six years have been a little bit easier than the first six years. Um, but, but it's been good and it's a growth process process and you have to cut your teeth somewhere. Um, and so I think for me, you know, especially in the role I'm at now with IATMO, um, getting the chance to get the way I look at my role, it's, it's being that public spokesperson, um, for the plumbing industry, getting the technical information out there, sharing what I know, but also when I share what I know, being open and receptive to other people's ideas, um, and thoughts and insights and pulling that into the work and then finding ways to get the industry to kind of collaborate better together, 
sure. um, you know, and, and bring diverse groups of people together to really make these new ideas take flight. Um, and, and getting, you know, and right now a big part of what I'm trying to do is focus on this idea of systems thinking within plumbing um, and, sure. and trying to trying to break down the silos, getting people talking and, and then starting, you know, starting initiatives where uh, we have people that are working together that maybe hadn't before um, and and getting documents created, guidelines created, manuals created, um, you know, testing criteria created that that push the industry um, towards the betterment of public health and safety. And I think there's a lot of sure. opportunity in plumbing right now. Uh, you know, I think when you look at um, the amount of growth that has happened in plumbing uh, over the last five, 10 years, especially because of the concerns of water safety and specifically waterborne Absolutely. pathogens and Legionella, um, it's far, in my, in my estimation, it's far outpacing um, HVAC and electrical uh, changes right now. Um, and so I think there's a lot of room for growth for the plumbing industry. And that gets me really excited. I mean, definitely gets yeah. me out of bed because I think there's a lot of positive developments that will happen for the U.S. as a result. Yeah, for sure. And I think in general the public is much more aware of water safety these days. Uh, you know, where the, where, where the water is coming from, how it's being treated, you know, what I just think it's not just something that people are turning on the tap anymore and getting water and taking, I mean, maybe a little bit taking for granted how it gets there, but you know, maybe thinking about what's in the water or, or, uh, you know, just general water safety like that. So just, just real quick though, for, for, for anyone who might not, know what IATMO is, can you just give a brief description of, of what the group is? Yeah, IATMO certainly. Is. So uh, IATMO is the International Association of Plumbing and Mechanical Officials. Uh, IATMO for short, I-A-P-M-O. Yeah, it'd be a mouthful um, if you had to say that every time. <laughs> every time, I know. So we always usually go by the shorthand. But uh, it is a code and standards uh, developer. Uh, so we develop uh, the, the Uniform Plumbing Code and the Uniform Mechanical Code, uh, which are both uh, follow the ANSI process. Uh, and I'll touch on that in a moment here, but uh, mm-hmm. we also do product testing. Um, and so we're a, a nonprofit, um, you know, so, you know, we are, are very much third party. Um, and uh, a big part of our role is to get the industry together to come up with the best process forward. And so we, yep. you know, whether that's for product testing, which is a big part of what we do, you know, we make sure products that ha- that are safe. Um, if you've ever looked on, on like your faucet, um, or any device that you have, um, not all devices have it, uh, have it listed there. Sometimes they just put it on the sheet, but sometimes they'll put it on the physical part. But if you see that shield with UPC or IAPMO, um, that's one of the products that we've tested. Um, and that's, you know, those standards, uh, those testing standards are something that we put into the code. So, so we do a lot of that, but we, we do more than that too. I mean, you know, we right. now have a, a philanthropic arm. I wish, uh, the, uh, International Water and Sanitation Hygiene Foundation, which is our, our 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 philanthropic arm that does you know really great work across the country and the world, and bringing water and sanitation uh, to uh, people that uh, don't have that advantage of there. So we we have projects at the Navajo Nation up in northern Arizona. We've done stuff in South Africa and, and Southeast Asia. Um, really great group of folks. Um, and then we have a presence overseas. We do stuff um, in India uh, and, and again in the Oceania Pacific. Um, um, you know, we have an association portion, so we have members uh, as mm-hmm. well um, that partake. Um, and so um, it's a really great organization that really focuses, you know, from a big picture standpoint, again, p- codes and standards and the product testing predominantly, making sure that, you know, a water and, and HVAC systems are safe. Yep, absolutely. And I, I like the, you know, you keep mentioning the systems approach and this whole idea of, you know, looking at the entire system. And that's something that we definitely uh, – try to do as well and, and pride ourselves on the knowledge of the entire system and, you know, 
let, if we make changes to this one component, what's the effect on the whole system or, you know, the, uh, you know, we get to the hot water uh, distribution discussion here a yeah. little bit later. We get into some of that. I mean, but you know, there's there's a uh, oftentimes when somebody says, "Well, it's you know, the the idea or the issue is pointed at a specific component when it may be uh, just a sign of a bigger uh, you know part of the whole system." So definitely yeah. definitely appreciate that point of view. And I think the one of the other big systems uh, that. I want to talk with you about something that I'm pretty excited about is this, the new water demand calculator <laughs> and this idea of finally, uh, maybe moving, moving past, uh, the, the hunter's curve days <laughs> of, of, of your, right. So, uh, you know, I'd, it'd be, uh, I just kind of like to get an idea of wh- where kind of all of that came from and, and, uh, maybe give us a little background on the hunter's curve and, and how we kind of got to where we are with, the water demand calculations for a building. No, definitely. So, um, the, so when you look at a building, um, and you know, whether it's like, you know, your apartment where you live or your, your home, or if you look at something bigger, like your office or your university or hospital or sports stadium, um, yep. you know, obviously there's a lot of plumbing fixtures in there. So, you know, we're talking our faucets, our showers, our water closets, you know, everything else. Um, when you look at the building though, and you look at it from that water system standpoint, when you're sizing piping, um, for that building, you know, there's, there's a few different ways you can do it. And, and the, the, the original method was to just say, okay, everything is on, yeah. uh, at the same time. Uh, yep. now the problem what's with the that worst is worst case, what's the worst case, right? But the, the problem is if you do that, you know, if, if you had, let's, and we'll keep a smaller, simple, you know, thing. Mm-hmm. So like a large, you know, uh, like a, a sports stadium or a hospital is going to have thousands upon thousands of fixtures. Let's just say, we'll keep it simple. We'll say it's a smaller office building that has, you know, 10, um, you know, 10 water closets, 10 toilets, you know, they're the flush valve okay. type. Typically a flush valve operates at, you know, 25 GPM. Um, and if you look at the, you know, the fixture unit, uh, or excuse me, the, the flow rate of that, if you assumed all 10 were on, you'd have 250 GPM. Well, what's the likelihood of all 10 being on at the same time? Very, right. very, you know, from and a statistical that, that 25 GPM is a very much an instantaneous demand, right? It doesn't, Yes. No, no. And that's, that's, that's the other part of it. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it, it and it's, it's not just the pipe, right. That ends up being oversized. I mean, everything in the plumbing system gets based on that worst case scenario and it drives pump selections, the piping, like you said, everything to that worst case scenario. Well, and that's the part too. When you look at, um, when you look at the, the, the pipe size, again, you, we're, we're counting for a peak flow demand, but like, as you mm-hmm. mentioned, you know, most of the time you don't have that kind of, um, that kind of flow rate. Um, mm-hmm. you typically, most of the time your plumbing fixtures are off. I mean, yeah. if you look at them, they're either on or off. Most of the time they're off. Um, and so what, what Roy Hunter in 1940, in essence, I mean, this is how old the, the, the sizing methodology is in 1940, um, he concluded uh, a couple of studies, and basically he took a uh, a 99.9 percentile. So what does that mean in English? So that means he says, okay, there's a certain probability that at any given moment that a number of fixtures are going to be on at the same time while others are going to be off. Um, and so 99.9 percentile is a pretty high usage. It equates to um, imagine if you had 10 fixtures, whatever they were, somebody using the fixture, stepping away, like washing their hands. Let's say, you know, you, you mm-hmm. have a, a faucet, somebody washes their hands, steps away. Somebody immediately gets up 
uh, into the fixture, turns it on, starts washing the hands, turns it off, steps away, and then somebody right after that comes onto it. Well, there's only a few building types in, in, in the world that really work that way, um, and yeah. that's sports stadiums, you know, theaters, um, you know, and Where you have a rush of demand, yeah. Right, a- airports when a flight gets in. Um, it's not even the whole airport that works that way. It's, it's right. like typically certain times of the day. Um, so, but a, a sports stadium. But, the, you know, that was a, a, an ingenious solution in 1940 because, A, he didn't have a computer to run any kind of, you know, numbers. He did all the calculations by hand. Um, and, and he was able to figure out, okay, if I get this 99 percentile, you know, condition, I can really drive down the size of the system. Sure. Um, so, you know, to take a look at, you know, if we were to do, um, if we were to, kind of equate this, you know, to our, our, our continue on. So, you know, if you, our example before with 10 water closets, mm-hmm. you know, at 25 GPM, if they were all on, you'd have 250 GPM of, of flow rate, but you know, we don't, we don't want to assume that. So Hunter, he basically with his curve of, of utilizing a value that included the flow rate and the probability of it being on or off, that's what the fixture unit is. It's a dimensionless unit. You're able to convert into a, a projected 99.9 percentile flow rate, which in, in this case for our 10 water clouds, it drops it from 250 GPM, something around 50 GPM. So huge. I mean, it's a fifth of yep. the flow rate, which means yeah, it's a big you know, you're going to likely go from what? Like, you know, I th- I'm trying to think you're right on the fly, like, you know, 250 GPM is probably like a four inch line, something like that. You're going to be able to drop down to like a two inch. I mean, so you're talking a lot of material. And that's why the U.S. Department right. of Commerce had hired Roy Hunter was to try to make it more economical to build buildings. That The original reports were all by the U.S. Department of, uh, of Commerce. Um, so so that's where we started. So he, he, he basically finished that in 1940. 1945, he was doing the same thing for drainage fixture units. Um, and that's mm-hmm. when you'll see that report was released. And then he died. 1945, <laughs> which is why we have the GPM on water side, but we don't have it on the waste side because he never oh, finished wow. the report. Um, and, and I learned all this through my, my, uh, my amazing colleague, Dan Cole, who is like, I, 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 he, he'll probably cringe when I say it, but he's like the world's foremost expert on Roy Hunter. I mean, he's written so many articles. Uh, they're definitely worth reading. Um, I've been fortunate enough to, to work with him and uh, over the last, uh, a little less than a year, and uh, he's taught me so much. A really great guy. But um, again, in 1945, it all stopped. And then the U.S. Department of Commerce kind of stopped the, the point of it. And, and then you look at the years afterwards and, and when plumbing codes really started coming into fruition uh, and really starting to be developed, and the Hunter's Curve was embedded in each one of them. Mm-hmm. And so it became codified. And that became, you know, again, code is the minimum, uh, the minimum you know, requirement. And so that became the sort of the de facto way of sizing water systems was on a sports yep. stadium concept. And so pretty much buildings for the last 80 years have been all sized like, you know, regardless of type have been sized like a sports stadium. So right. that's the context we're kind of dealing with, uh, you know, from a, uh, from a water sizing standpoint. Now, the plumbing engineering and plumbing contractors and inspectors, the entire plumbing industry manufacturers, we all realize that it's oversized. Yep. Um, and nothing, you know, it's, it's always been kind of a tall ask to get anything to be done about it. Um, um, in part because it hasn't been a priority. Now, in the last 10 years, especially as we're realizing that water quality concerns, um, and then we can talk, talk about this a little bit later, uh, but there's water quality concerns that come as a result of, mm-hmm. of oversizing. Um, there's material usage issues now that we're experiencing, you know, post-COVID, you know, the cost of, of construction has gone up because a lot of materials have gone up. Um, you know, all those things have kind of bubbled to the surface and sustainability initiatives too. You know, we've, we've reduced our flow 
um, to a lot of fixtures, which we need to do. Yeah, I mean, I live in Arizona, lot. but but we haven't gone back in and evaluated our pipe sizing, and so um, that that will will you know help with the sustainability side and with the safety side. And and yep. it's my core belief that what IATMO has come out with in the last six years, which is the water demand calculator, um, is one of the first steps um, and is a great solution um, that can 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 potentially help impact both in a positive way rather than having yep. us push and pull. Um, so the water demand calculator, um, uh, which came out in, in 2015 was a, uh, was completed by a task force of IATMO, um, the university of Cincinnati and the American society of plumbing engineers. And they created a task force that, that worked on residential buildings. Um, and, okay. and that residential buildings, um, basically they took data, collected data for many years, um, I think hundreds, if not thousands of data points. And basically by utilizing a different methodology, and I won't get into all the nitty gritty of it, uh, but um, looking <laughs> at- give away all the secrets of the summit, are you? <laughs> no, not all the, uh, that's, that'll be one of our other points here. But, but in essence, you know, they were able to, to reduce the probability factor and, and make it more right. in line with what you would expect to see in a residential building. Yeah. Uh, which is huge. Residential buildings, you know, when you consider single family homes all the way up through multifamily and high rise, it accounts for a huge part of the buildings uh, in the U.S. Yep. Um, and so they were able to reduce it pretty drastically. Um, as an example, um, I ran the calculation for uh, a bigger high rise. Um, and, you know, my former example of like 10, you know, water closets, you know, imagine mm -hmm. a building which has 200 units of, uh, yep. of, of uh, inside of it. So probably a high rise apartment complex. Um, with the Hunter's curve, you know, that would equate, you know, those 200 units would equate to about, you know, probably like 200, 300 GPM. So we're talking our four Easily. inch line, right? Yeah. Cause we're talking, we're talking like hundreds, you know, hundreds mm -hmm. of water closets with the water demand calculator utilizing that, um, that specific example. Um, I was, when I ran it, the peak flow rate went down to 50 GPM. Yeah. And I believe right that. Right. I mean, yeah. we, we see this all the time in, in the aftermarket where, and in new construction, you know, we're working with engineers and, and seeing these big flow rates, especially in the multifamily, like you're talking about, uh, really, really high flow rates. And it, it's not just the pipe size, like you said, I mean, the, the two areas that we see that where it becomes a big issue, especially in high rises are the booster pumps and yep. the pressure reducing stations. So yes, you have, you have over like oversized booster pumps where they're sized for that worst case trying to work them back at that partial demand, it doesn't work very well at all, right? You have all kinds yeah. of control issues. And then PRVs being oversized causes a whole other uh, set of problems. But the uh, in our experience, in in some cases, this is the that diversity factor or probability factor, like mm -hmm. you said, is as little as like 10 to 15% of what Hunter's Curve would yeah. predict for that building, right? I mean, it's a huge potential savings to the point where I've, we've had um, – we did a, a temporary pump on a, it was a 400 unit. Um, it was a student housing. So 400 mm -hmm. units each with two bedrooms and a pump that can't do more than about hundred to 115 GPM carried it at basically 99% occupancy. Right. Wow. So I mean that, that wow. flow rate that you're talking about, the, the, the number that you gave is, is right on. I think with what we've seen in real life examples, just the, that diversity of use is, is a lot bigger than what people think. 
It is. It is. Well, and that's because most buildings don't work like a sports stadium. It kind of goes back yeah. to that. Um, you know, it's yeah. interesting. You know, you know, your, ex- your example reminds me of, uh, of an engineer that, um, that we, um, that I've worked with, I had the pleasure of working with uh, pretty closely over the last year plus Gary Klein. Um, and he's actually, uh, he's presenting at the ASPE technical symposium coming up here in San Diego. And, uh, he's kind of talked to me a little bit about, uh, some of the stuff that, that he's, um, he's looked at and he's actually working on projects, you know, in New York, where he's utilized the water demand calculator and, and they're going back and measuring. Um, mm-hmm. And they're finding that the water demand calculator is still oversized. So there's a safety factor involved with it. Okay. But it's instead of it being like 500%, it's like 50%. Yeah. Yeah. And that's huge. I mean, that's a huge, huge impact on so. And, 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 and it's not just about getting the pipe size smaller and saving money, although we have a report that talks about the potential cost sure. impact savings. But you start talking about water quality and sustainability. Um, and, and how the building performs, you know, and, and you mentioned booster pumps. I mean, if we're able to get the right booster pump size in there, instead of having, instead of having like a 10 or 20 horsepower pump, if you get a five horsepower pump, now you're talking energy savings. I mean, this goes right towards decarbonization, right? I mean, this Mm -hmm. has been huge. Um, so we have now, you know, a, a solution that is, is, is it's, it's not just pulling on one lever without considering the rest. It's more holistic. We're looking at how all these things yep. integrate, and you, and when it's it's a much more thoughtful approach, a more holistic uh, solution to kind of use that wording again, where you're looking at the system as a whole and coming up with a way to to solve multiple variables at the same time, solving multiple yep. problems at the same time, uh, with minimal uh, negative unintended consequences on, right. on the other side, or none, or none at all. And I think in this case, we have one that that it's it has it's neutral on the on the on the on the negative unintended consequences yeah i can't i can't really think of any i mean unless you were to go extreme and and come up short on the the uh pump selections but i, I mean i don't know that that really ever happens <laughs> um yeah well and it would be for that... it would be a short period of time if that but again we're talking such a low likelihood and probability yeah. and and we're talking about something again when you think about the building the most of the time the plumbing fixtures are off um you know they're off 99 percent of the time and they're on one percent of the time yeah, um, and, and especially if you don't have a cooling tower, right? I mean, yeah, if you take a yeah. cooling tower out of the building, there's probably 60 to 80% of the overall use, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you take that factor out even more so, uh, you, you have less risk, right? I mean, that yeah. when we're doing, you know, sizing a booster system or something like that on a retrofit and we're looking at downsizing from what's there, it's one of the first questions we ask, does this make up to the cooling tower? And, yeah. you know, from there we know where, where we need to be. Um, but it, it's funny that you'd think, the company that's providing and selling the booster systems, if they're suggesting a smaller one that they're not trying to pull a fast one on you, right? Like we're trying to talk you down from this massive booster system because we know that over time it's going to cause issues, right? You're going to have failures. You're going to have unhappy tenants and guests and patients. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're there for the long haul. And so (laughs) I'd rather take the smaller sale and have it be the right fit for the building. Yeah, no, I think so too. Well, and I also think for the industry though, um, you know, obviously going smaller um, can be better, um, you know, from a quality standpoint, less callbacks, less, you know, service calls and all the rest. But I think also, you know, you look at the opportunity for um, improving the dollar per unit value of whatever. um, I think that's out there too. Um, You know, I think if we can go with smaller components, but they have more features, they have more benefits, it makes the the owner's life that much easier. I mean, that becomes that... Yeah, that becomes sorry, a win-win. And I was gonna say that yep. becomes a win-win for everybody, for the owner, for the for the you know, engineer, for the installing contractor, for the manufacturer, for for everybody involved from start to finish. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I think, is the, looking at it from a systems-based approach. You're now looking at how all these things kind of interact, and you, you're coming up with a solution that is uh, holistic. You know, Again, holistic meaning there's a long-term positive impact. In some countries, you know, like Germany and the Netherlands, they've been doing some of this for a while. And it's kind of interesting when, as I've kind of started you know, looking back at my um, you know, and started reading on some of the stuff that, that, you know, Germany's doing, you know, they've been doing it for a lot longer than we have and, and, and have been able to, to get some really positive results as, you know, yeah. by, by that methodology. So how can people utilize this water domain calculator? Where, where do they go to use it? All right. So if you go to uh, org backslash water hyphen demand hyphen calculator, backslash that'll take you to the web page directly where okay. where you can look at all of our reports you can download the the latest version of the water demand calculator uh, it's an excel 2.1 um there's even a, a how-to manual right there um and and basically you fill out the you know you fill out your total number of fixtures you click the the run um mm-hmm. the run feature and and it will give you what the what the approximate diversity factor is uh, it'll give you the 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 estimated peak flow rate. Um, and again, that's still what we're finding as we're kind of going back even for larger buildings uh, and, and revalidating, you know, cause we already validated this, but as we're right. going through and revalidating this, um, that, that it's still, that it's got that little bit of safety factor in there. So it shouldn't yeah. give everybody a little bit of confidence. And then obviously if you have like a cooling tower, you'd add that GPM on top of it. Um, I think it's the most common engineering practice, but, um, you know, it all, there's also our studies, um, you know, there's a study from the, uh, AWE, that um, talked about the potential positive impact on water meter downsizing. Um, there's a oh, study yeah. we did. We did a study sure. with Stantec um, that sh- talked about the material cost, which you know, we found for for you know um, you know for single family homes up to a 45 unit multifamily, you know you could expect, and this was pre COVID numbers too, you know estimates, but depending on the market, you could see um, material cost savings of anywhere between up to 10 to 16 percent. Um, so, I mean, that was, again, you know, material costs are much higher now. So the, 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 the difference yeah, we'd expect to see that likely go. number. Yeah. So, um, and again, you know, you start talking about like a big, big, um, you know, building, I mean, it starts adding up and, and, and I ran the calculation. I kind of looked at it for that 45 unit. I mean, you know, between the connection fee, uh, and the, um, uh, the, the pipe material cost savings, mm-hmm. Um, you know, based on those reports, I think I was seeing like up to around, um, a high end of $200,000 in savings as an example on the project. So it's not a small chunk of change. Um, it definitely, that assumes that the, the municipality has, you know, everything right there. It's not, you know, you're not having to make the connection far away or it'd be a much larger connection than it's typical for the area. Right. Like we, we worked with, um, a major gas station chain. I won't mm. uh, specifically name them, but they are, you know, the, all the bathrooms is a big deal there. Right. And so mm. that's one of these more potential stadium type uses, right. Where you have all uh, these restrooms always in use kind of deal. And they were under the impression that they needed a certain size connection from the city and a certain size meter and all of that coming in. And we were able to show them the flow data on the booster system and, and mm-hmm. go back and say, no, you really don't need that much. Uh, and it was a significant savings from yeah. what the increase of the pipe size was going to be. So it's massive. Absolutely. It's, it's definitely massive for sure. So, um, you know, the other part of it too, that is, that was interesting to me with that 45 unit 
um, example that I gave was the annual savings too, because typically most water purveyors and, and um, uh, uh, sewage departments, based on your water meter size, they'll charge you different rates. Uh, so for that example, you know, there was like $10,000 per year in savings. Sure. Yeah. $10,000 in savings like year after year after year, uh, which was just, I mean, again, mind blowing. I mean, I think it was like 1600, yep. uh, uh, or 16, yeah, 16,000, excuse me, in savings year after year, you know, for that 45 unit example up to, I mean, that's a high number, wow. right? I mean, so it could be yeah. lower than that, but that was, it was, it was staggering to see. I mean, it's a yeah. lot of money. Um, so this can, this can definitely help, um, you know, uh, in terms of, of an economic standpoint. For sure. So I'm curious, I, I, I want to ask you about the summit, but uh, it's an idea that I wanted to bounce off you. Conversations I've had with uh, another guest, uh, Mike Fair, who's like a mm. uh, water quality kind of chemist expert, mm. uh, way smarter than I am. I didn't understand half of the stuff he said on the podcast, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> uh, but one of the things that I did think was interesting was um, the idea of circulating the cold water loop. And, and, ah. and, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. You can talk about the, 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 the pull, uh, push and pull of safety and, and, um, energy savings and the example of the hospital, not wanting to use low flow fixtures. If you were to take that same building, use the low flow fixtures, but have a recirculation line on the cold yeah. water. So you don't get stagnant water. Do you feel like that's a, what are your thoughts on that type of a design? I am very interested in this. Um, I'm actually speaking about this subject in a panel discussion at the Aspie Technical Symposium. Oh, nice. Um, uh, and, and um, you know, I think there's a lot to evaluate in that. Um, you know, from a water safety standpoint, I think that, you know, keep in mind, you know, if you look at like the tip of your pen or your pencil, you know, to a bacteria that looks like a football stadium. So mm -hmm. any increase in surface area, you know, whether by length or by size, there's a potential for more spots. Sure. However, however, um, you know, one of the, the bigger and additionally big concern is when you have uncirculated or, or areas where the water age uh, increases. Yep. Um, and so, you know, the only option to get water circulating or water moving, I should say, uh, doesn't have to circulation is one option or recirculation. Um, but it's to flush, basically open up your faucet and flush it to drain or open up your water closet, you know, continue to flush that to drain to move the water in those areas. Mm -hmm. um, but as we found out during COVID, um, you know, where a lot of buildings were, were sitting vacant um, yep. and, and, you know, and then, you know, we worked with AWWA to create a, um, a sort of a, a report on uh, management of buildings or, or ideas for um, uh, stagnant water. And, mm -hmm. well, well, so that's, that was a separate one, but okay. um, um, AWWA approached us and we worked with them to create a, um, you know, responding to stagnant water uh, in buildings, uh, sort of a, okay. a, a guidance document. Um, and, and that's a problem because flushing really is your only option. What, what I've been thinking about a lot is, okay, we have a lot of buildings that are sitting vacant and, and they're in areas like the Western US where if you flush and it goes to drain, what do you do with that water? Do you put in a gray water system? Um, is there an option to circulate the water to make flushing, you know, to get that, that distance between the circulated part, you know, where the water's, you know, quote, unquote, quote, unquote, good, um, right. versus areas where it's deteriorated. Um, and if we shorten that distance, does it make sense? So I think it's, 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 there's definitely a series of th thinking that needs to occur. And I think there's potentially a case here for circulating the cold water and having some kind of water quality maintenance device. Right. Um, it's definitely worth exploring to maintain that water quality and then reducing the amount you have to flush to drain. 
Right. Um, I think it's something we need to be looking at. Now, I will say countries like Germany, I'm aware of technologies that are coming out of there. They're already doing this. Yeah. Um, now, that's one of those differences I was kind of alluding to earlier. Um, you know, and I've had conversations with, with people that are for and against this, 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 this line of thinking. Um, um, but in Germany, they don't have as much chlorine in their water. Um, they actually have very, very low levels of chlorine. Um, but they're looking at water temperature and, and sediment control and other water mm. quality requirements outside of um, just straight up you know, adding disinfectants to the water to try to right. control. Um, but they've done it in conjunction with making their pipe sizes smaller uh, as well. And they've been doing this for a long, long time. Um, so one of the things the Water Demand Calculator Summit that we're going to be hosting, uh, we have a couple of folks that are going to be talking about that methodology and what that means um, and how it works. Um, and, and what are some of the positives and negatives of that approach? Um, so I think that there, there, isn't, there is definitely um, a lot of exploration needed in that topic. I think there's some, a lot of potential in that. Sure. I think we just got to be mindful that you know, there's differences in cultures and how we do things here in the U.S. versus how they do things in other countries. And, and again, thinking of it in terms of systems, how does this all play into each other? Um, does it make sense to do this? Um, although I, my sense is that there is something we can learn from from some of our, our colleagues uh, and, uh, and professionals on the other side of the pond, as it were. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it. Uh, I know there's it, it. It almost starts to mirror what we're doing on the hot water side of of the building, uh, right? When you start talking about having a you know return loop and adding in water quality, and you're starting to kind of look at what the ashery. Uh, 188 guideline 12 all of that having the multiple layers of uh defense against legionella and, and other bacteria I mean, so it definitely starts to open up uh you know this whole other set of questions of what what you're going to do on that side of the building but it i would agree that there's definitely potential to do that versus just uh flushing and and yeah. i could tell you even in like our office here in the bathroom in our workshop that when when I was coming up here like once a week to do virtual training and stuff like that, that bathroom rarely got used. And uh, we had the the Spartan Cube to be able to do mm. Legionella testing on site. Yep. So I was like, I was basically learning how to do it. Took a sample out of the <laughs> sink in there. And uh, yeah, we had Legionella. <laughs> and I was like, oh, geez. Uh, okay. So luckily it was a very low amount, yep. uh, but there it was detectable. And so a simple flush and and we were back to normal but like you said I oh, mean, wow. there wasn't any other option other than yeah. to 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 flush the line yeah and that's i mean that's kind of where we're kind of as i mentioned before you know there's there's this little bit of dichotomy and there's this pendulum that i've noticed swinging and i think early in my career um the pendulum had swung very very much over the sustainability side and i think it was a good thing i mean that 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 we're focused on that but mm -hmm. you know just like anything else we need to find that balance but you know now the last five years i've seen it swing completely the other way um to you know, safety. about safety yep. um the problem is you know we need both uh, and that's where um you know i had recorded a podcast with um uh, marianne dickinson uh the president and ceo a uh, former president and ceo she's now retired of awe and, and dr jan stout um the head of special pathogens lab um, and, and I think it was Marianne that had mentioned, you know, creative synthesis, um, you know, finding ways to get these solutions in place that really work together and with each other. Um, yep. and it's a really key part. And the, and the water demand calculator summit that's coming up on November 4th, um, I think we'll start that process. I, you know, right now the, the summit or the, the calculator only applies to residential. Um, but obviously we have a lot of different building types out there. I mean, hospitals, sure. hotels, 
Um, and those ones have typically, you know, higher, higher out, um, uh, they account for a larger percentage of outbreaks or cases of Legionnaire's disease. Um, yep. You have offices, right? Those have sat stagnant. Um, you know, and I think the, the office environment with that changing, you know, with remote work. Oh, massive. Yeah. yeah how's that, how's that going to, yeah. yeah, yeah. So how's that all going to get impacted? Um, you know, so I think it'd be really interesting for us to see what those, you know, we have definitely a lot of study that's needed and that's where the summit that we're hosting here on November 4th, um, it's a virtual event, virtual summit. Um, we are in essence, um, going to have an all day that talks about the whole history of Hunter's curve. We got the original task force members coming in and talking about sort of oh, the, awesome. the ghost of, uh, Roy Hunter past, present, and future, if you will. <laughs> Um, and cool. then we, in the morning and then in the afternoon, uh, the second half, we're going to be talking about kind of some of the challenges to get this, this stuff created. So we're going to talk about data analytics and data collection and Monte Carlo analyses. Uh, we're going to talk about, um, you know, what kind of data is out there already. And then we have an open panel discussion uh, and participants, people that sign up, um, you know, we're hoping to be able to give them a, a, a platform to speak um, and to, to kind of chime in with questions or share information um, and then the goal of this is going to take to, um, you know, the task force to, to make it a task group um, and, and to expand it. And so we ha we'll have a registration page likely um, available for people that are interested in being part of this movement. Um, you know, and that includes manufacturers, engineers, um, you know, um, anybody that's dealt with the hunter's curve or sizing sure. equipment. Um, you know, we'd love to have you sign up for the task group um, and, and, and basically, you know, try to kind of get this, this, this crowdsourced effort of data, of collecting the data, of getting, you know, getting the, the information needed to take the water demand calculator and get it applied to other building types. Um, and I'm yep. really excited. I think, you know, the, the, you know, we've had the registration page uh, open for a couple of weeks now. We've had a great initial run. You know, I'll, I'll send you the link to that uh, as well, Tim, yep. for your listeners. We would love to have people come and sign up. Uh, the cost is $49, um, you know, but the reason for that is, is very simple. You know, we want people that attend this to have skin in the game. Sure. Um, you know, we believe, you know, there's going to be six CEUs offered for those that need it. But, but we also feel like, especially if we're going to open up the mic, um, you know, and, and have people being able to talk, we want to make sure that the people that show up have skin in the game. Yep. Um, and not that we just end up with somebody that, um, um, that, that doesn't necessarily care about it. So, you know, we're trying to make sure it's, 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 it's a group of like-minded individuals, yeah. um, that, that are trying to drive towards a common purpose. Um, and, and really the hope is to take people that are interested in this and then obviously there's no cost to being part of a volunteer task group. Um, and we're making it vol you know, that volunteer task group will be a virtual one. So again, we're trying to minimize costs. I mean, that's one of the lessons that we've gotten from COVID yep. in terms of minimizing, you know, we've been able to kind of do this volunteer stuff virtually. Uh, and we've been doing it before, uh, but the goal is then let's get people talking. You know, we'll get some subcommittees going, um, and and in essence, we'll be able to to really start that process. And I think there's there's some you know as uh, some of the initial conversations we've had in preparation, you know, as we've been even just developing this this summit, um, you know, and some of the people that have kind of reached out as a result of seeing the registration page open or just conversations. Um, there's a lot of people that are looking at, at getting involved in this. Um, so I think yeah. it's a great opportunity to go from the hunter's curve to the plumbing industry's curve. Um, yep. And really kind of being part of something bigger. Uh, and that gets me excited as a big picture thinker, but also it gets me excited for the industry because it's now something that, you know, I think you probably do it, you know, with, uh, with your family, um, you know, and a lot, I think everybody in the industry, like myself too, you know, when you have your, your significant other or your, your kids, you, know, you drive by building. Oh yeah, I did some work on that building. Right? We all do it, <laughs> absolutely, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. They, I get the eye rolls from the wife, but uh, you know, yeah. my son still thinks it's cool for now. I, my, my son too. My, <laughs> he thinks it's so cool. And, and I think we all do it, right? But but here we have an opportunity 
to be part of a movement, really to, to, to make history together, yep. uh, which is our theme for this year's summit. We're hoping to make this an annual summit, um, but, but to kind of make history together. And, and now when we drive around town, any building that gets built in our, 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 our city or our town, you know, we can point to it. And especially, you know, at some point, if we have, if we have this water demand calculator that, that touches every single type of building type out there, it's not just the ones that are product or engineering services, or we spent the time doing the install that we point to. Now we can point and say every building in town, we had a hand to play in making right. that building better, making it safer, finding ways to, to build the resiliency and impacting the water, the water usage. Um, that's the opportunity we have here. That's kickstarting with this. So I really hope, you know, and I think we've had some great initial output that people can come in and be part of this movement. You know, it's a crowdsourced effort. You know, there's still stuff going on the side that we're doing, but, but if we can augment that, we just are speeding up the process and, and looking yeah. at the way the world is today. I think that's the opportunity that's out there. And, and I hope some of your listeners and, and you, Tim, I hope we see you there. Oh, I'm going to be there for sure. I mean, this has been something that we've been passionate about for a while and, and, you know, live and breathe every day going out and, and being in buildings and working with, um, the, the, uh, facility managers and building engineers on, on their existing systems. And then also with the consulting engineers on, on new construction. So definitely this is a topic of interest, uh, for me and, and I'll be, be there and, uh, you know, submitting some questions and stuff. I don't, I don't know if you're, if you're, be a good idea to open the mic or not, but I'll, you know, definitely take the opportunity if you, if you do that. But, uh, but no, I mean, I think it's a great, uh, a, a great way of going about it to open it up to all these other people, because I mean, I know the amount of experience that we've had with it. And I know there's a lot of other people that are out doing mm -hmm. similar things. And so you get, get all those people <clears> together. Uh, I imagine you can, you can get a lot of data and, and uh, speed up that process, but I would agree. I think it's going to have a huge impact on the way that, uh, you know, the buildings are designed, that, that the systems are designed, and, and ultimately the way that, that uh, we, you know, provide and maintain equipment. And I think the, uh, you know, it'll be great to be able to walk in with um, a new tool. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not just saying, look, trust me, <laughs> I yeah. know this piece of paper that's, uh, you know, <sighs> yeah. 80 years old says it's going to be this, but, but trust me, it's going to be really over here. So to have that kind of third-party verification, like you said, to say, no, this is, this is really where we think it's going to be. This is actually where it's going to end up. And so to have yeah. that, uh, a kind of accreditation. All right. Well, that wraps up part one of two here on this episode of building value. Again, the guest today was Christoph Lohr, uh, vice president of strategic initiatives with IATMO, uh, covering the water demand calculator and the water demand calculator summit coming up here in November. We've got links out to the website, uh, to the summit for registration, all of that good stuff. Uh, so please check that out and please check out part two of this episode that we coming up in two weeks. <laughs>